On today's episode, I sit down with Tyler Wallace. He's the second of a whole team of ex-Amazonians that I'm fortunate enough to sit down with. Tyler spent seven years at Amazon, has recently started The Lab, a consultancy focused on helping brands grow on Amazon. And we really dive deep into what it was like working at Amazon, building out teams, scaling, everything that relates to the marketplace and beyond and highly, highly interesting session. I hope you get the value out of it that I did. Hi, and welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I interview now successful professionals about their journey and try and garner insights onto any tips that can be applied to your business at home. Whether it's financial freedom or the exit of your company, wherever your journey may take you, the idea here is to simply learn from those who have done it before. I hope you enjoy and you get some value out of this. Buckle up and enjoy the episode. Tyler, welcome to Successful Scales, mate. I am so, so excited to be sitting here chatting with you today. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Yanni. Yeah, absolutely. So I was just saying to you before, you know, you've got a fanboy in Lippy, my co-founder massively, and he got me onto your podcast. So before we even jump into all about you and, and why we're going to have such a thrilling conversation, I got to call it out myself. Your podcast, Think Like Amazon, is brilliant. Anyone who is listening to me week in, week out, I thank you and I apologize, I, I joke. But um, if you want to get some serious insights into you know what real scale, what it is to work at a company like Amazon and how you know some of these minds that are really shaping the future of e-commerce are wired and how to build in leadership principles. And I mean, I could go on about promoting the podcast for days but i just say it is a worthwhile listen and uh yeah just fortunate to have you here to to take some of that wisdom and and give it to all the listeners here today thanks yanni that that's very kind of you and you know i'll say it goes both ways there's so much wisdom that you're sharing through the guests you have on this show so i'm also a fanboy here of successful scales and <laughs> look forward to continuing to to hear the the nuggets of wisdom that you bring onto the show well, on that note, um, let's let's uh, let's do the the typical. Um, I'd love for those who don't know you, and obviously we've had some some great conversations, and we're going to have another one here today. But tell us a little bit about your history, so everyone can get on the same page and be as excited as I am. Yeah, you know, Yanni, I feel like I have been on the corporate track for the last several years of my life. As you mentioned, I've been at Amazon for much of that, uh, but I've really been an entrepreneur at heart for a long time. And, and so it's, it's fun and I'll get to kind of what I'm currently doing now, but to back up, uh, you know, growing up, I used to uh, set up neighborhood car washes and lawn care businesses and hire all my friends in the neighborhood. And I really enjoyed kind of the opportunity to add value that was beyond just my own time, beyond kind of the hours in the day that I had myself. And so fast forward, you know, went to college, I, I landed in a role working for an online grocery delivery company. So this is kind of like the, you know, you think Instacart or Amazon Fresh before either of those were around. And it was a bit of a hard sale telling people, you know, pay a little bit more and get your groceries delivered, but it was such a value add. Uh, and, and so I came onto that company when it was at a high growth stage, expanding to additional states and regions of the country. And uh, effectively, it uh, was charged to stand up a team and go sell this service. And, and so I had a lot of fun doing that. I feel like uh, that was kind of a, the early days of my 
uh, more formal entrepreneurial uh, training. And, and, but, you know, I didn't have any sort of business background or business training. And so after a few years, went to business school. And I think that it was one of those uh, like corporate presentations, Amazon came to town and they were talking about the growth they were having. This was, you know, when they were just getting into the devices. So they talked about the new Kindle tablets that they had, and uh, they kind of hinted at fire TV that was going to be coming out soon. So um, it was an exciting time. And I remember just chatting with some of the Amazon folks and sharing uh, some of the ideas. And one of them had spent some time on Amazon Fresh that was a young business. And, and I was kind of picking their brains in terms of like, you know, from my experience in this online grocery company, how were they thinking about this? And I think that, you know, we hit it off and that is what led to me coming to Amazon. So uh, I spent about seven years at Amazon um, first as an intern during business school and launched Amazon's grocery business in Canada. So I think uh, rightfully so they were leveraging a little bit of my past background. And then um, came full-time after school and had a, a few different roles. So I, I first led the PC and IT category uh, across marketplace sellers in the U.S. Um, really enjoyed doing that. Had an opportunity to kind of scale my time across hundreds of thousands of sellers on the platform, which required a, a different mindset, uh, you know, versus a one-on-one -on -one kind of sales or biz dev interaction that I had been used to before. Uh, and then after that, I, you know, was curious about this 1P retail side of the business. And so I moved over and went to our home improvement and smart home team, managed a PL and a business there and kind of grew in that role to eventually lead a team of vendor managers or buyers. Um, and one of the things I realized during my time at Amazon is I was having so much fun, but where I was having the most fun was building these nascent businesses and scaling kind of young businesses within Amazon. So Amazon's, you know, books and media and electronics and some of these categories had now been around for close to 20 years, but Amazon's always launching new business segments and getting into new spaces where they can disrupt and grow. And, and so that, you know, one thing to another uh, led to another, and I found myself uh, talking to some of these more nascent teams and realizing I, I still really enjoy the e-commerce side of Amazon. Uh, and I, I was attracted to the, a role on the Amazon Canada team. So Canada is a much younger marketplace, especially at that time than the US. And I ended up joining that role where I spent my last few years at Amazon. And I uh, had the opportunity to lead the marketing team for Amazon retail and a few other programs that happy to get into uh, where, where I got more of that building and scaling experience. And probably the most fulfilling was uh, my last role where I led Amazon's marketplace business for, for Canada, um, really working again with global sellers, both in Canada and abroad, uh, selling into, into Canada and, and figuring out how we can scale that business and the FBA business to delight more customers. Uh, that, that brings me up to just about three months ago, Yanni, where you know, I was reconnecting with a former Amazon colleague and uh, we were talking about kind of this entrepreneurial passion we had. We wanted to build something. We were enjoying Amazon, but you know, I think it had become a little bit disillusioned with some of the scale and bureaucracy and size that you know, any big corporation gets to. I think detracts a little bit from some of that entrepreneurial builder startup feel. And so we decided to uh, get back to working 
more closely with sellers and brands. And we founded The Lab, which is the consultancy we, we co-run today, where we help brands uh, grow and succeed on Amazon. Wow. Uh, you tough act to follow here. I'm sitting here just listening, taking notes, thinking, oh my God, what things you have seen and, you know, just the, the evolution and the time and, um, thanks for sharing. Um, you know, if you, if, if you guys weren't excited before, surely you are now, um, also so fresh. Um, you know, I, I remember we spoke a few weeks ago and it was, uh, relatively new, but yeah, three months, I mean, big shift. How are you finding, how are you finding sort of stepping away from, you know, the, the corporate world, even though Amazon, I feel is different when you, when you look at there's corporates and then there's corporates and Amazon feels very, very different to the, to the standard, but how are you finding, uh, you know, stepping into the back into the very much entrepreneurial world? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it's been something I've been reflecting on a lot over the last several weeks. I think that on the one hand, Amazon was such a great training ground for being a founder and, and working in a startup, even though it is a really big company. And the reason why is, uh, you know, Amazon, for one, really believes in this concept of single threaded leaders. And so even though Amazon's a big place and, you know, some of the organizations I worked in were thousands or tens of thousands of individuals, uh, I had sole ownership and decision-making ability for what my specific team was working on and running. And you heard in my background, you know, I changed teams two or three different times. And so it kind of got me used to having to be a little bit of a, I almost want to say chameleon, but like having to reinvent myself going into each of those different business categories or industries or geographies and getting up to speed really quickly. And I think that's been helpful in now starting off because there are a lot of things that are new for, for me and for us, you know, in, in a consulting space and, and really just starting a business, right? Like, as you know, everything from incorporating to, you know, tax and uh, marketing and, you know, website and everything that you have to do in a business can be really new the first time you go through it. And so it's been fun kind of taking that playbook of, you know, jumping into new businesses, figuring out, okay, what are the top priorities? And then making kind of a, a, a go-to list of here's what we need to accomplish working backwards from what we want the business to be in a year, two years to, okay, what does that mean we need to accomplish in the next six months, three months, one month? Uh, so that has been great. I would say, um, you know, the other thing that has been a little bit of a transition is really just wearing more hats. Uh, I felt like I wore a lot of hats in my roles at Amazon. As an entrepreneur, you wear a lot more hats, at least in the early days. And in, you know, right now it's just a few of us. And so we don't have a whole bunch of folks that we, we have the you know, freedom to delegate to like we did in our past Amazon roles. And, and so it's, it's been fun. It's been, I think that's accelerated the learning opportunity every day. I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to go learn how to uh, like update a website or I need to learn how to, uh, you know, put this pitch together to a potential client. And, and so it's been really fun kind of wearing all of those hats. Um, I'm sure that I'm also looking forward to as, as, as your company helps with uh, scaling some of those practices. So it's not always juggling. Uh, but enjoying the ride for now. Yeah. And, and, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's so exciting to get to wear all those different hats and to sort of figure out the, the problem solving, which is at the core of being an entrepreneur, in my opinion, is, is how do I look at this big problem? How do we identify it? And then how do we solve it? And, you know, I think at some point uh, it does get a little tiring to try and wear too many hats. So there's definitely like a, 
a time frame or a window where you have to start to think about scale. But yeah, I mean, the, the early stages are so fresh and new and exciting. And um, I can see why you'd be drawn to it now, like I am. And, and also just the notion of moving from different department to different departments, sort of starting and focusing on these nascent um, verticals or different aspects of the business would continue to sort of re-energize you. Um, you had a few points there that, I, that I'm obviously now privy to having listened to, I think all of the episodes that you released to date, but um, so much that I've learned just from listening to the podcast and from, you know, how things have been done inside of Amazon, but you use the term single threaded leadership. And I, you know, I know that that's something that Lippy, who I mentioned earlier, I mean, he has literally been, you know, making so much noise about that in the business about having single threaded leadership. So I'd love you to sort of maybe elaborate a little bit on that, because I think if people can get into the mindset of, you know, what it takes to bring on the right person to give them that level of leadership and ownership, how that has impact. So, I mean, I'm, I will butcher it. So I'm not going to attempt to recite what I've heard you speak about. Yeah. And I think um, to, to really lay the context, this principle of Amazon is often referred to as separable single threaded leadership or, or separable single threaded teams. And I think that the, the term separable and single threaded are both super key in the definition. And the idea first comes back and, and has its roots in Amazon's priority and leadership principle around ownership. And, you know, Jeff Bezos historically uh, gave the example one day where he went into a rental property and saw that the tenants had nailed their Christmas tree to the floor and, because they were too lazy to buy a stand. And he pointed that out to whoever he was standing next to and said, that right there is why ownership is important. Meaning that, you know, an owner would never do that. An owner would think long-term about the, the impact they're having to that home. And I think that's so uh it's very core to Amazon's philosophy and the way that Amazon's culture is uh, stood up around this idea of ownership. And if you have people in these important roles running these important businesses, you feel like they're just a cog in the wheel and they aren't the one who really owns the decision, owns the success of that business or of that program long-term the decisions they make aren't going to be as strong and aren't going to be as lasting and enduring for customers. And so the way that Amazon kind of has put this into practice uh, organizationally is with this idea of separable single threaded teams, meaning that each project or each program within Amazon needs to have an owner. And that owner shouldn't be, well, these three people are working on it. That owner should be a name. Like if I can't say, hey, Yanni owns this, then you know, if I'm not able to answer that question, if it comes up, then there's a problem in Amazon. Uh, so, so first and foremost, there needs to be a single threaded owner and that owner needs to have that decision right over key decisions in their business. Uh, certainly day-to-day -day decisions in the business, right? Like there, there can't be a board that reviews everything that goes on that. That person needs to have the autonomy and the empowerment to, yeah, be responsible and accountable, but also be able to make the decisions. And then this idea of separable is really key because you know you can't expect somebody to really give a program or business everything they've got and really think about it all day and all night and uh, stay up thinking about its long-term success if it's one of 10 things on their plate. 
And so the idea of this separable single threaded ownership is that, you know, if, if Amazon's going to launch, you know, a pharmacy business or a devices business, or, you know, even launch a new category within a new geography like Turkey or Israel, uh, that category needs to have a single threaded owner that just does that. They're not also managing four other categories or they're not also managing, you know, FBA operations or something else. They need to be able to focus 100% or at least 90% of their time on that problem or that problem is not going to get the, the attention that it needs to be as successful as it could be. So thanks for, for taking the time to explaining that out to me. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, you know, things that I would consider changing now in terms of, you know, some areas, you don't always get it right all the time. And I feel like, you know, we run on EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, for those of you who don't know, Traction, a uh, book written by Gino Wickman. It's called Getting a Grip on Your Business, Traction. Um, talks a lot about accountability and responsibility and how you can, delegate effectively to, to have, you know, finite management around specific functions, but to, you know, to take it to that level of um, having someone who can focus to that degree and has the accountability to be able to be empowered to make those decisions. I mean, you know, you're sitting here, I mean, we're both sitting here right now running and growing businesses and, you know, we probably have, I mean, you definitely, I also feel like too, I don't have enough people to solve all the problems that I'm trying to solve today. And, you know, before you know it, there's the next problem that's, that's cropped up. And so you have to deviate and jump back into it. You know, something happens inside of the recruitment function and then our marketing's off. And then after the marketing's off this, you know, there's always something for anyone who's going through that journey, there's always something that's going to crop up. And so having that ability to have someone entirely accountable, I mean, you're just going to sleep that much better at night knowing that this is my domain. This is what I have to do. And everything outside of that plus minus 10% here is, is not me, you know, having that level of focus enables true growth and true scale because, you know, um, I'm going to use one of my dad's sayings. This is how old I feel like I'm getting, but he's one of his favorite sayings is a Jack of all trades, a master of none. And so, you know, this really enables you to have that level of degree and focus to grow something like Amazon and the specific verticals and the different marketplaces and pieces of technology that that happen. There's also there's also a ton of other things that I've loved um, on it and things that we're starting to really. It's almost like when I listen to think like Amazon and I listen to a lot of the principles that exist inside of the business. It's like we do these things but without, uh, without actually naming them. So the, the other thing that's definitely become top of mind for me is the two-way do door versus one-way door decisions in the business. And I'm going to get you to explain it again because I don't want to butcher it. Um, and then we can move on to other topics because I know you're not just a, a guy who can recite some of the things that happened inside of you know the podcast that you've done right now. But I just find it so fascinating that um, it's that level of not only the understanding and the cohesion across the entire business. So everyone's driving in the same direction. You know, it's like, um, I don't even know how to place it, but when I listen to, when I listen to everyone that you're interviewing on the podcast, it's like, you're all speaking the exact same vernacular, you know, like without even knowing it, you know, I've spoken to it to actually your, your co-founder at the lab and, not just you guys, but when I spoke to it, might have even been James Thompson. Um, I have to ask, uh, mental mental map. That's got to be a term used, right? 
Yeah, uh, mental map. I would say mental models. Mental models. Use even Sorry. more at Amazon. That's uh, it. But, but exactly this idea of how do we think about things? So there's there's definitely a, a level of uh, you know it's not just the decision that we're making, but how are we making the decision? The context for that decision, and I think that's exactly where where the this concept of day uh, one way versus two way doors comes up. And it's it's interesting that you you mentioned that from the podcast, Yanni, because you know it's not a leadership principle at Amazon, but it's a concept that's talked about a lot. And it's been interesting because it's come up in, you know, three or four different episodes uh, where we're talking about different leadership principles, just because it's something that is considered so often at Amazon that it's part of that vernacular. It's part of that way of thinking about a decision that so many folks at Amazon have become accustomed to. So it's a mental model and um, ha- happy to, to go into talk a little bit more about it if, if, if you want. Um, I mean, I'm not going to pass that opportunity up, am I? <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so for your listeners or those that haven't heard it before, um, really, I think what's important in, in the way that a lot of decisions, you know, you hear about these business narrative documents and Amazon, you know, you have a key decision and everyone sits down and they read a document in silence and then they talk about it. It's all about, okay, we're going to align on the right decision to move forward. Well, what's interesting is that when those decisions kick off, it usually doesn't go straight to, okay, what's the right decision? It usually starts with the leader or, you know, some, some senior people in the room helping guide the thinking around, okay, how are we thinking about this decision? What kind of decision is this? And what are we really trying to get to? Like what, you know, beyond just the decision, what is the, the kind of meta decision here? How are we approaching serving customers through this business decision? And one of the concepts that often comes up is this idea of identifying a decision as either a one-way door or a two-way door. A one-way door being a decision that is really, really hard to back away from. So something that requires a really large capital investment that you know you're not going to get back or really, you know, if, if you promise the customers that you are going to deliver all packages within one day, like that is a one-way door decision. You can't just say three months later, oh, sorry, we were too aggressive in our thinking. We're going to go back to two-door, uh, sorry, two two-day delivery, that's that's much easier for us to, to fulfill. Uh, you know, customers are, are not going to be happy and you're going to lose some of that trust. And so there, there are examples like that that are one-way door decisions that when you identify a decision as one-way door, you need to be very rigorous in making sure that you can deliver on that decision. And that requires a lot more uh, robust analysis, considering a lot more options going over the data, making sure that you've talked to the customers, you know what is operationally required and technically required to really deliver and fulfill that promise that's that's being made. Now, contrast that with a two-way door decision, which as the name implies, is a decision that you can reverse if you need to. And while rarely is a decision uh, kind of easy to back away from or has no costs involved. You know, usually these are decisions where the the downside is mitigated in some way. So an example might be, you know, hey, we are going to run Prime Day in uh, October instead of the summer, like we saw last year. Yep. You know, that that's a good example of a two-way dis- door decision. Are there, you know, uh, lost sales or downsides to getting that wrong and and misguessing? 
what customers are going to value? Yeah, there are. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if customer feedback comes in that, hey, Prime Day is much more special if it's in the middle of summer, well, guess what? 2021, you can go back to having Prime Day in the summer. Yeah, and, and just such fascinating uh, insights into what it takes to, you know, to the decision-making pro- process that, that goes into, you know, making big decisions, whether you bet the house on it or whether you, you know, you take a, a steps into it and, you know, you can always probably take that, you know, like, like I was saying before, when I'm looking at it, these are all the decisions that, you know, most entrepreneurs in running their businesses are making every day, right? Like, you know, we're always looking at how do we continue to iterate and evolve, you know, from our staffing business, you know, we always go back and forth. Like we see such value in our ongoing account management and the performance management and how we help educate people on how to create professional run teams, building the onboarding and everything that's related to that. And then we have people who have larger businesses and like, well, we've got an HR function. We really love the fact that this is how we run our processes and we're super established and we don't really need that. So do we just handle the executive search only? Do we enable both? So, you know, we might not overtly promote something, but we'll do it, you know, as a, as a trial run, does this work for us? And then if we do, then maybe we sort of expand it out. So I think that it's a really handy tool to, you know, to, to earmark and to actually say this is, you know, when you put a phrase or a terminology against it, and then that becomes the colloquial term inside of your business, then everyone starts to evolve and think like that. And people become leaders inadvertently making good decisions inside of their, you know, single threaded mindset of whatever it is that they're supposed to deliver on in terms of their responsibility and accountability inside of the business. So fascinating stuff. Uh, I got to ask, because you just so casually brushed over it at the start. Um, you know, I'm sitting here, we've got, you know, I don't know, 70, 80 clients, something to that effect today. And you just casually said, well, you know, when we're dealing with hundreds, I think it was hundreds of thousands of sellers. I mean, I can't even grasp what that would look like to consider like, what? how would I do this at 100,000, hundreds of thousands of businesses supporting what we're delivering, like, you know, what does it look like for you sitting in that position, trying to think of it at that scale? Like what are the stages or the steps that you take to, to work backwards and say, right, this is how we get it done. Cause it's, you know, for, I think for a lot of people listening, that's like, it's nauseating. Yeah. It, and it's not easy, right? Like <laughs> I won't pretend that it was ever a walk in the park, waking up one day in Amazon, knowing that, I had a billion dollar PL and the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of sellers in my categories. And, you know, if I made the wrong decision or my team makes the wrong decision, we could be impacting not one person, but hundreds or thousands of people, um, hopefully positively, but potentially negatively. And so it, it is something not to take lightly. I think what what Amazon uh, does well and the, the way that I would manage this at Amazon is really approaching it at a macro level and at a very personal micro level at the same time and trying to always have that balance. And and the way that we would do that is, you know, it's no secret that Amazon has tons of data. You know, obviously Amazon has shared a subset of that data through Seller Central and, you know, Vendor Central, but but needless to say, Amazon has a lot of data that it collects on uh, its category business, on sales, and, and obviously tied at the seller level. And so Amazon can 
on a broad stroke level, um, create kind of these personas and understand how different cohorts of sellers are performing. Uh, you know, that might be looking at, you know, Asia based versus US based versus European based sellers and, and how the growth is comparing. It might, might be looking at different uh, size bands. So how much revenue um, large sellers versus small sellers. It can also be looking at FBA versus manufacturer fulfilled. It could be looking at, uh, you know, different product categories, different size bands. So um, uh, like ASP or average sales price, you know, low value, uh, product sales versus high ticket sales. So a lot of different ways that we would look at the business and we would look at, okay, at a macro level on a weekly basis, let us look at how the, the new seller business, the existing and mature sellers are doing across these different segments or personas and see where there's really high growth and where there is stagnant growth or where we're running into issues. And from starting at that high level, you can then quickly drill down anytime there's a trend to understand, okay, what's driving that trend, either positive or negative, And what's the learning that we could potentially scale to the other cohorts or the other categories. Uh, and so that's one way that I think Amazon starts at a macro level. But I think that just doing that, it's so easy with a business at that scale to miss important signals. And it's so easy to cater to the majority at the expense of the minority. Right. And so the other thing that was super critical and that I think we, we really tried to do at Amazon was involving customer. And in this case, customer also meant seller anecdotes as much as we could. And so in these reviews every week where we would go through and start at a top level and look at all these key metrics of the business and sales trends, we would also pull in different anecdotes. We would look at, you know, what customer complaints are we seeing? Uh, how many sellers got their account suspended this week? And what are the commonalities across some of those suspensions? Uh, we might look at, you know, what are customers sharing in their survey feedback through Seller Central? Or, you know, just looking at, we would even hold a round table discussions where we would bring sellers on board and, and have more casual conversations like this, where we would talk to them about their businesses. And I think that those anecdotes are so key because, more often than not, we would have one of those reviews and the most valuable learning, the most valuable, like, Hey, there's a problem. And, and we were able to triage and, and, uh, figure out a plan of action to, to remedy it. Um, or like, Hey, here's a good success story often came from the anecdotes, not from the macro data in. And so I think that having both is key. You obviously need to scale and you need to look at the overall picture, but you have to stay connected to your customer. I think that, that gives such great perspective as to how you need to look at such a large business because yeah, I mean, I definitely want to dive into the whole data side of things because I feel like, you know, getting that insight and looking at how you structure the business to pull in the right information to make better decisions it will serve a lot of people if they approach in the right direction. But to look at the, the personal level and the macro level and, and really doing that level of due diligence is is probably one of the things, one of the many things that sets Amazon apart. And I was, um, I was talking, like I was saying to you before with James Thompson, and he was talking about, he's also ex Amazon. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, seriously, amazing insights. And just, uh, I was blown away. Like I am today. I'm loving every minute of this. If you're not uh, seeing the smiles on my face here. Um, but yeah, um, 
when you look at when you look at effectively um, the level of data and the insights um, from working with you know such a robust data set, right? I mean, it's it's you're not going to find that much data almost anywhere else in the world, realistically, with the level of people that you touch and the different levels of insights. But how do you, if at all, do you take that into the construction of now, you know, the entry into the lab and, and what that looks like? Are you from the forefront stepping in and saying, right, this is the information that I'm going to need to get. I'm building the personas. I'm actually tracking the metrics. Like, what does that look like for you now, having seen what it looks like at such a scale? Yeah. And, and uh, I, I just have to say for listeners, like this was not a seated question, um, but I think that what you're asking, Yanni, is exactly what we feel very good about our approach at the lab and what I think sets us apart a bit. You know, when we were setting off to start working with brands in this space, um, one of the gaps that we noticed is, you know, there, there are so many agencies and consultancies out there that do a fantastic job uh, helping block and tackle and grow brands. And, you know, on your podcast and many others, there are a lot of those good practices and tips are, are shared in the community. I think that's one of the, the big highlights of this you know, third-party seller space um, is you can learn so much from the community. That said, one of the things that, that we felt we could add in this space was this, this uh, opportunity to really understand and implement Amazon's operating structure within a business. So within a brand's direct to consumer or, or Amazon or marketplace business. And, and so one of the things that we do with many of our clients today is we replicate this weekly business review that we ran with our teams and the marketplace business at Amazon. And we, we found that, you know, over our time at Amazon, there are really valuable insights that you get from looking at this macro level, having the right KPIs, having the right benchmarks, uh, and really looking at it and drilling into the insights of the business on a weekly basis, and also marrying that with anecdotes that you're collecting in a systematic way. And the, the process or the playbook that, that we use over you know, tens of thousands of brands at Amazon, I think is so relevant even when you're working with a single brand. And so that's one of the things that, that we do and we, we take over. And then the other thing that I think goes hand in hand with that is just this perspective of thinking like Amazon, again, not not necessarily uh, meaning to tie in the podcast, but really understanding how Amazon operates. If you're on Amazon and you're selling on Amazon, you're doing yourself a disservice to not think about things from the other side of the table and think about, well, how is a category manager or a category leader going to think about what I am contributing to the Amazon business and to Amazon's customers? And so, you know, in our experience, we find that a lot of things from account suspensions to kind of missed growth opportunities really come from and not understanding the, the signals and the warning signs from the lens of what Amazon is probably thinking or what Amazon systems are likely detecting about your selling patterns. And a lot of times, if you just take the time to look at things through Amazon's perspective or Amazon's lens, you can proactively get ahead of that. And I think that that can, you know, pay dividends for a brand as they grow. Yeah, um, I, I'm sitting here and I'm also just thinking back. I sat down with um, with an incredible entrepreneur by the name of Mac Lackey um, also earlier this week. Uh, he's had six exits, is an angel investor in over 75 companies, has sat on the buy side of a 
publicly traded multi-billion dollar company and he's got a course called exit dna and in it um he talks a lot about how do you create value and a big part of it is looking at your business from the lens of a prospective buyer and so i think it's it's a similar sort of uh methodology or consideration to look at it from the eyes of if i'm going to make these changes inside of my listing or inside of what i'm doing inside of my business how might the system approach it how might the implications actually take part and take hold and what what's the what's the higher level outcome rather than just looking at the blocking and tackling on the level of right i know that this keyword for example is a great keyword there's lots of people going after it but i feel like i could win out on that you know that's not the the very tactical level it's it's what's that implication going to be to my inventory management, my future marketing, my brand positioning and my image listings. And how does that actually change the perceived value of the product that I'm looking to sell, you know, on a marketplace like Amazon, for example. So having that higher level, you know, working backwards, thinking at that, that level and that sort of consideration um, is becoming a real common trend for things, at least that I feel that I'm learning through my journey of perpetual discovery and just intrigue into how do people think differently? How do people look at the world who have been there and achieved much, much greater things than I have and have done, you know, some really big things and um, definitely a constant thing that's coming up. So yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to absorb all of the knowledge here. <laughs> yeah. If, if I could maybe add like one, um, one example or, or, or piece of advice that I, I think is really helpful. It's, you know, when you're dealing with Amazon, which I think all of us do, and it, it, I will be the first to admit that Amazon can be frustrating to work with. Like even having drunk the Kool-Aid there for seven years, like I, I know, and I knew even then that Amazon is very far from perfect. Um, and so when you're dealing with Amazon, uh, you know, think about it similar to how you would work within your, your own business and your team, like as an employee, you don't want to bring problems to your manager. You want to bring solutions to your manager, right? Like that's, that's common career advice that a lot of us get. And it goes the same way with Amazon. You know, it's really easy. And I think a lot of us uh, do kind of voice our, our problems or voice our complaints about something that's not working right with Amazon. And the reality is that oftentimes that doesn't get you very far. Um, but if, if you have a listening, uh, if you have somebody listening within Amazon and you can propose a solution, it's surprising how fast those get bubbled up. I mean, I, I saw solutions get bubbled up to me really quickly from folks on my team at Amazon. Um, I think, you know, one maybe more tangible example of this is with, you know, a suspension where you're submitting a plan of action, right? Like anyone that's had their account suspended or gotten a warning has submitted a POA on Amazon. And I think, you know, most listeners probably know at this point that just denying that there's a problem or saying that it's Amazon's fault, not your fault, usually doesn't get you very far in that plan of action. You need to be talking in, ter in terms of solutions, in terms of, okay, here's what the problem was. Here's how I've addressed it. And here's how Amazon, I'm going to be a, an easier seller to work with going forward for you. And I think that that goes, you know, for anything in dealing with Amazon, if there's something that's not working rather than, you know, just saying, Hey, this isn't working. If you can find someone to listen to your proposed solution, you know, Amazon going back to innovation, like they're looking for ideas from everywhere and including that includes sellers. So to give you an example of that on the Amazon Canada team, uh, you know, at one point, 
uh, we held a roundtable with a group of sellers in Quebec, and they really opened our eyes to how much of Amazon's Seller University and Seller Central resources were not translated into French, which is the, the, the primary language in Quebec. And we, we knew that that was an opportunity. We had no idea how widespread or how deep that opportunity ran until we talked to sellers. And, and from there, we, we quickly prioritized and invested in adding Quebec or adding French content. Um, I can promise you, like, there, were, there had to be seller forums somewhere where, where sellers were already complaining about this. But it wasn't until somebody said, hey, you know, I think if you translated these videos over here into French, that would help me because I use those videos when I set up my new listings. And if I didn't know English, like I would have been stuck and I would have just given up and gone, you know, to eBay or somebody someplace else. So I just go into that example as uh, just one case of, you know, if you can think in terms of solutions, in terms of, pro instead of problems, I think that's just one way of seeing things from Amazon's point of view that will get you really far in the space. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just had a flashback here. Um, so I know we, we've chatted, but I was a former Amazon seller myself and it was December 17, 2018. We, uh, we were doing, we, we did 5 million that year in revenue and we were a heavy Q4 business, like to, to, uh, you know, disproportionate degree. We're talking probably 70% of our sales happened in that lead up to Christmas. And, um, I realized I, I seriously wanted to frame my, my POA. <laughs> um, that's how good it was. I, I'm going to tell you now, I managed to get our listing that was suspended on December, 7, December 17 up live within four hours of when we were kicked out. Um, and I don't know many people that have had such success uh, in it, but it makes me realize that I took the right actions there. Um, we managed, we actually got a call from Amazon. Um, shocking. It was about review manipulation. Um, one of the people that I worked with was, uh, it was messy. Let's put it that way. And so as a result, you know, we're selling literally tens of thousands, if not, you know, 20, 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't even know how many thousand products a day. No, it was probably tens of thousands, probably 10,000 a day, something like that. I'm exaggerating here, but anyway, the point is um, we're doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day in, in revenue and something happened, something tripped the system, review manipulation, had no idea. I wasn't involved in it. I had no idea what the cause was. And I just said, I sat down with him and I said, listen, you're going to tell me every possible thing that could possibly have happened to create this, this issue. And I literally listed like, this is the issue. This is how we've addressed it. This is what it's called. And I built a very formulaic approach on how to, you know, what perceivably might've happened, what created that issue and how we're going to mitigate that from ever happening again in the future, managed to get on a phone call and we got back online. You know, it was a, it was a miracle when you think of the size of Amazon and who you need to actually speak to. And, you know, I think we just, we got very lucky, but I think that that's a life lesson for, for me definitely and for everyone is that if you come with the solutions and you really do the work for someone else, because in the, in the, what's the other option, right? If you don't do that work, then someone else has to figure it out and then that's their problem. And, you know, why do they care? How do you, you know, how do you help make people's lives easier so that you can effectively make their life easier and therefore they can actually get it done what needs to be done. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't think about it that way at the time, but 
I mean, it's, 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 it makes a lot of sense now in hindsight and hearing you sort of outline why things might move quickly um, at the end of the day. And I think the one thing people forget uh, is that it's, it's people doing business with people. It doesn't matter if it's Amazon or Sony or MasterCard or whoever the company is at the end of the day, there is going to be a human at, at least today, <laughs> but there's going to be a human <laughs> at the other end reading what you're putting, uh, you know, on on paper or on your email. So so be cognizant of that and make sure that it's you know it's in a way that's very easily digestible and something that can uh, can actually help them progress them into where they need to be, for sure. Yeah, and kudos to you. You know, four hours to get something turned around is not many people do that on Amazon. So that I think speaks to how effective your approach was. And, you know, I would say for anyone listening today or in the future that finds themselves with the suspension, go back and listen to the last two minutes of what Yanni shared, because the <laughs> high level walk through his approach to how he put that plan of action together, which is so key. And I think the other thing that's kind of been implied as we've talked about this is that the human you're working with on Amazon side they're probably very bandwidth constrained. And so as easy and simple you can make things, the, the more likely you are to get them to take action. Like if you can make something be a two minute decision instead of a two hour decision, like you're, you're much more likely to not get put on a back burner somewhere. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did with your POA approach. Yeah. Um, wow. We did, we did $900,000 in the next six days or seven days on the back of that. And that was our entire, that was nearly the entire profit for the year. So that would have sent us back to, to square one stuck with inventory until the end of next year. So um, yeah, now that I realize I, I was a hero, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's, that's part of the journey. Right. And that's what a lot of Amazon sellers and, and everyone's dealing in different varying degrees inside of the businesses is that, you know, when you take that accountability, you know, to, to draw on the single threaded leadership, you know, taking ownership, not letting someone else sort of, you know, handle that situation when in that moment of time. And, you know, typically you're going to get the result that you're after because I'm, I'm not a believer really in luck. I feel like you make your own luck. And so in, in moments like that, it's, 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 how can I, how can I think through five steps ahead, what that person is going to be dealing with and how do I solve every possible perceivable uh, question? I actually, in that company that, uh, that I helped scale from two to 5 million, I did a presentation uh, that was entitled the briefing process. And, and the, the whole presentation was simply put like, when I'm thinking about a creative brief or I'm putting anything in, my single objective is how do I put every piece of information that I could possibly think about so that not one person bothers me until it's done. Just leave me alone. So, you know, that that was really, that was how I almost created that. I wanted to say laziness, but it's not laziness. It creates effectivity. Um, but, you know, if you take that approach in building businesses responding to Amazon, whatever it is, how do you make people, how do you help first? How do you make someone else's life easy so that you're not stuck sort of picking up the pieces and going back and forth? Yeah. It's uh, in, in Yanni listening to you. Like I, I, I'm putting the picture together now, you know, you are somebody that clearly uh, thinks about how do I make things easy for others without me needing to explain it to them by documenting well, by organizing well, by structuring, by keeping that focus on, okay, what is the solution? What does somebody need to do with this information? Not just put the information on paper. 
and, and all of this clearly leads into this Escala business that you've built and what you're doing for clients. And so it's kind of fun to see the way your mind works a little bit and how that's helped you be successful in this business you've built. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for the compliments. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that for everyone it's, it's beyond possible. And I, you know, I don't look at myself as, as anyone particularly special. I just think that, you know, if you, if you take that approach of how do you, how do you help first? How do you really put yourself in the shoes of your clients of, you know, if you're in the Amazon, if you're the sellers, the customers, your coworkers, the employees that you have, how do you uniquely put yourself in their position you then work backwards and say right well that's how i help them that's how i help them that's how i help them and that's how i think a lot of innovation comes throughout any any business and, and any individual that's how you you evolve is just to try and think that next few steps ahead and solve the problems that haven't even sort of come to light yet yeah yeah that's great so so on that note Tyler, um, I've got to say, mate, I have enjoyed this so, so much. I'm, I'm not joking here. I'm definitely going to have you back on because this is way too much fun. And I've learned so much in, you know, 40, 50 minutes here. Um, it's just so valuable to me. And, you know, there's no way people listening at home aren't seeing the same level of value that I'm getting out of this. So I just want to say, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time out. And before I let you go, uh, I'd love you to share just a little bit about the lab, who you're looking to, to help. Um, you know, we can plug think like Amazon all we want. Um, <laughs> you're clearly seeing the value that I'm getting out of it. And as someone who's sitting and talking to people and creating a podcast of my own, this is the podcast or one of them that I'm going to, to learn myself. So, you know, worthwhile listen, but over to you. Yeah. You know, at the lab, we, we help we help brands and particularly we love to help brands that have uh, a real mission or a purpose or some differentiated value. Um, it, it's just very satisfying to help you then scale that. And, and we feel like that's one of the things that we can do is again, as I said before, we bring this ability to operate like Amazon to the way that you are scaling your business on Amazon and in e-commerce. And, and so if that's something that resonates with what anybody maybe listening is looking to do or looking to accomplish, um, please reach out. You know, uh, we're at thelabconsult.com. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to me at tyler at thelabconsult.com. I'm, I'm happy to share my direct email. Uh, and then, yeah, if, if you're just looking to maybe understand a little bit more about Amazon and hear from, you know, much more than me, but, but many other former Amazon leaders that have kind of learned these principles and, and learned kind of what Amazon does best and in, in many cases gone on and applied that to, you know, leading or building or growing a business outside of Amazon subsequently to an end to, I uh, think like Amazon, I think, uh, you know, it, it's a good compliment to the content that you're providing here, Yanni, in, in terms of how business owners and entrepreneurs can really scale their business and, and grow something that can be lasting. Again, mate, thank you so much. Uh, loved it. And, you know, I hope everyone reaches out, you know, who's looking to build a, a brand on Amazon and, you know, you, you're getting really access to someone who understands on the on the business side what's going on so um you know unfair advantage uh but you know you, you use those advantages so again thank you so much and uh mate it's been absolutely a pleasure my pleasure thanks yanni <laughs>